children are heading off to kids' church. Have an awesome morning. It's lovely to see you in church. We're going to continue our series at, uh, just for this last week and this week on vision. And last week we looked at personal vision. Personal vision, vision that uh, relates to me, that applies to me. But I think as we discovered, looking at personal vision as vision applies to me, we also saw that that same vision kind of applies to us together as church. There's this interconnectedness when it comes to what I'm here to do, the calling that God has for my life, and what we are called here to do. There's this connectedness. And this picture is uh, where we started and finished last week, and it's the same this week. Maybe the question that we need to ask more often than not is, Father, what do you see for me? Perhaps today the question would be, Father, what do you see for us? What do you see for us? And maybe 10 years is too far away for you. Maybe just say, Father, what do you see for this week? Maybe that's too far. Father, what do you see for me tomorrow? As we look at vision together as the local church, we're going to end up seeing that this is part of the answer, this question. Father, what do you see? Second Kings was a story about the servant of Elisha. And he gets up in the morning in this little town called Dotham, I like to think of it as Horsham, and he looks outside along where he looks to the mountains and, and he sees the enemy at the gates. He sees a force that is looking to invade and sack the city. And he cries out, Lord, we're in trouble, what are we going to do? And Elisha, just as calm as calm could be, said, who is with us is greater than who is with them. And then he prayed this prayer. He, he, said, he said, Father, open the eyes of this man. And in that moment, his eyes were open. And he could see that the hills were full of the chariots of fire. And the chariots of fire theme played in the background. What would happen to us as a church if we prayed for one another, Lord, let my brother, let my sister's eyes be opened. What would happen if we opened our eyes and we saw that all around us we were surrounded by chariots of the heavens' armies? What would that change? How would that affect us? Would that change how we see and view the world? Vision in a sense, is promised salvation, that there is more on our side than there is on the enemy's side. So, Heavenly Father, we pray that our eyes would be open today. Lord, we pray that our eyes would be opened every day, that we might see the armies of heaven all around us. Lord, that we might live into that promise, that we might capture the heart of that vision, and march forward for the sake of the kingdom. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And everybody said, Amen.
Proverbs is a book of wisdom. And a particular proverb, chapter 18 and verse 10, says something like this, God's name is a place of protection. Good people can run there and be safe. I'm sure you have another version running through in your head right now. God's name is a place of protection. This is an image of a, of a plain and a mountainside and the top right-hand corner there, there's this little tower. It's actually not that little, it's actually big. And in ancient times, there was risk of raiders, there was risk of wild animals, um, there was all sorts of risks that we don't necessarily contend with in the same way today. And in the moment of crisis, you would run to a fortress, a safe place, a place of safety. And so the writer of Proverbs, this, this wisdom book, is saying, the name of God is like a strong tower. The name of God. People run into it and they are safe. The, the very name of Jesus is a place of safety. It doesn't matter what you're facing, it doesn't matter what opposition there is, the name of Jesus is your safe place. It's where you run to. It's where you head towards. When you don't have the answers, when you don't know the way forward, when you're unsure, the name of Jesus is where you run to. This is a picture that we're given. This is a, almost a vision, you could say, that, that we're, we've, we've been told to get into our hearts. The name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. Maybe you could say this. The idea of linking God's name to a tower really means that it doesn't matter where I am, anywhere and everywhere. If I speak the name of Jesus, there is a tower right there for me, in this place, in this moment. As Jim was sharing his heart and sharing about his parents, as he calls on the name of Jesus, he's in that tower, in that moment, in that instant. That's visionary. That's entering into the promise of God. That's entering into something which I can't quite see and I can't fully comprehend, yet by faith I do so and something changes in me. What would it be like? What would it be like if all of us called on the name of Jesus like that? What would it be like if there are all these little towers running around everywhere? What would our world look like? But contrast this idea of tower, contrast this idea of God's name to another tower, to another group of people. A group of people called Babel. This was a group of people that turned inwards. They wanted to build their own tower. They weren't prepared to call on the name of God. They weren't prepared to run to His tower. They wanted to build and make their own. These were a people who lost their sense of who they were. They gave up their outward vision. See, God had told them, go into the world and be fruitful. Check it out. Jump on a plane and see the place. Populate. Be fruitful and multiply. I am with you. That was the message. That was the vision that God had given these people. And yet they stopped. They turned inwards. They focused on themselves and what suited them. And in Genesis chapter 11 and verse 4 it says, Come, let us build a city for ourselves with a tower that touches the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves or else we may be sent everywhere. You see the similarities between those two verses, the tower and the name. God says, my name is a tower, run to my name. And these people at Babel, 
They just wanted to build their own tower. They wanted to make their own name famous. They wanted to control their own destiny. They did not want to go anywhere. But don't think it was just the crazy people of Babel. What about another chapter 11? 2 Samuel chapter 11. In springtime, the verse says, in springtime, kings go off to war. But King David, he didn't go off to war. Something had changed in him. The Bible doesn't articulate what was going on. Maybe he had a headache. Maybe the internet was down. Maybe fuel prices were too high. I I don't know. But he stayed home. And we all know what happened to David. He spotted this really good-looking woman. And that was the end of him. He stayed home. He turned inwards. It was like the turning of him inwards caused him to lose an outward focus. He found himself in the wrong place at the wrong time. You think chapter 11 is a coincidence? Why don't you read 1 Kings 11? Just scholarly joke. Check out all the chapter 11s. It's just a bit of fun. There's no theological message in it. But it's just fun for people who are a bit weird. You see, the problem is stopping. The problem is stopping. When we stop, whatever the reason, when we stop and the outward push ends, all we have is an inward focus. What does this mean for the church? The most common factor in declining churches is an inward focus. It's not hard to drive around Adelaide and you can see old churches that are now doing other things. There's a man called Tom Rayner. He's the CEO of Lifeway. And of all the churches he's researched that are in decline or have closed, this was the number one thing that he determined to be the key cause of that decline or that closure. Inward focus. He said, what does inward focus look like? Well, the ministry is all about the members. All of the church funds go to the members. The worship style is geared for the members. And the conflict, any conflict in church, is simply the members not getting their way. Tom Rainer came up with some symptoms of a church which has turned inwards. He says that there's very few attempts to minister to those in the community. Church management meetings become arguments over preferences. Any change necessary to become a great commission church is met with resistance. The past is the hero. Culture is seen as the enemy instead of the opportunity for believers to become salt and light. Culture's the enemy. Culture's, no, no. Rainer says, that's the focus. Culture's bad rather than what's our opportunity here as salt and light. Pastors and other leaders in the church become discouraged and withdraw from effective leadership. The day I withdraw and no longer lead effectively is the day that I've got to go. The day I've got to go. is the day when I become so discouraged that I can't lead effectively. I've got to go. I've got to go. Church without focus, simply ending up managing its own divisiveness. The divisiveness of issues, the divisiveness of inward focus. This was the research of a person who's seen a lot of churches. What's the cause? An inward focus is the predominant factor that is consuming time and resources and energy of people in church. 
See, without a vision, without an outward focus, our tendency is to fall back within. Yet God has the answer for us. God is on a mission. God has given us a vision for what He sees as the future. He's inviting us, the church, to participate. Yet there is possibility that we could be like Babel and do our own thing, turn to our own focuses. And what we build is simply sold eventually. It's like selling our birthright for a pie and a pea soup at the train station. Inward focus is the antithesis of prophetic vision. See, Proverbs 29.11 says, Without prophetic vision, the people run wild. The people run wild. The Book of Wisdom says that an inward focus is akin to running wild. The teaching of God is about teaching, teaching the promises of God. The teaching of God, we are blessed because when we enter into the promises of God, it pushes us outwards. It's like our eyes are opened and we can see the armies of heaven all around us. Prophetic vision is critical for halting inward focus. Without prophetic vision, what we do is stop and end up building our own towers. We stop and simply seek to preserve our name and our place and our pride and our influence and our platform. We stop pushing outwards. If you have a look at any church split, any church crisis or disaster, any church problem, at its core, at its emotive primal core, is an inward focus. An inward focus. And this is critical because, after all, the sum of the individuals in this place is what we call the church. Is that true? It's not these bricks. It's not the air conditioning, as beautiful as it is. It's us. We are the church. Without vision, we are far more susceptible to be distracted by the Bathsheba's of the world. We run wild. Prophetic vision understands that the first question isn't, what am I doing with my life? Prophetic vision understands the more important question. Who, who, where does my life come from? Who, who owns my life? What is my life? That is the deeper question of prophetic vision. To whom does my life belong? Once I settle that, it's much easier to settle what I do with my life. You see, for the church... It's not about the members. That's an inward focus. Now, having an outward focus doesn't mean we ignore one another. No. What does the Bible say? We're to love one another. Because by loving one another, the world knows about Christ. True? So an outward focus is not mutually exclusive to loving one another and being there for one another. But it's almost like our driving energy and force is an outward push. It's an outward progression. It's an outward effort. Psalm 100 really captures this beautifully for us. It says, Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pastures. The beginning of all wisdom is the fear of the Lord. In this book of Proverbs, another way of hearing Proverbs 9.10 is, the beginning of wisdom is to respect and obey God. 
Something happens when we actually place God above us. Something happens when we actually allow God to be God above us. When we acknowledge the Lord that He is God, when we acknowledge Him that He is greater than us, He is more than us, in fact, He made us. When we acknowledge that, something changes. We realize that we're His people. We get this imagery that we're like sheep. That's not really the predominant imagery that I want to have, to be honest, in my life. I don't mind eating sheep, you know, if it's gone around in circles for a fair while. But to be honest, the whole sheep thing doesn't really fit in with my general self-imagery. Yet this is the image that, that the writer of the book of wisdom gives us. We are His sheep, where? His pasture. His pasture. It's His pasture, it's His space, it's His area. We're His sheep, we're His sheep in His pasture. It begins to change everything and remind us that, like all sheep, what do we desperately need? We need a shepherd. What does the shepherd do? The shepherd sees beyond where the sheep are at. The sheep are just there with their head on the ground eating. I can understand that. But the shepherd sees past and beyond. The shepherd sees ahead. The shepherd is always looking outward, looking further than where the sheep are at. We need a shepherd. If we're sheep, if we're in his pasture, then we need a shepherd. The wisdom of vision knows that we are God's. And so when we know that we are His, when we look out to see what's ahead of us, when we look out of above all the day-to-day things and look further, it causes us to take a step of faith. It causes us to enter into thinking that requires faith. Faith is necessary. If we accept that we belong to God, then faith becomes absolutely necessary for our lives becomes necessary for us to step into what God has said. Because the reality of what we see often doesn't match up, would you agree? There's a disparity. There's a difference between what God says and the promises in the Word and what we know to be, to be true, really true, yet what we see in the world, it just, it, there's just a gap. There's just a gap, yet, yet we're called to be people of faith. We're called to step and be people of faith who see things just like the servant of Elisha saw the armies of heaven. That's what we're called to be like. It takes faith. Vision requires faith. Think about Jesus. By his very name, he came to save. Salvation. By his very name. He, Jesus instituted salvation before we even wanted it before we even thought we needed it, before we were fully aware of what salvation was and is, He made a way for us. He made a way for us. Everything we do must in some way be connected to salvation. The work of salvation. The outward focus is a salvation focus. One of the best memory verses in Scripture is Jesus wept. Have you ever wondered why Jesus wept? Jesus knew the promises of God. He knew that this was a city where 
where, where God's name was given. And yet as he approached the city, the reality was it was far from that name. It was so far away. It was like the gap between the heart of the Father and what was was so big, it caused an emotion that caused him to weep. What have you wept over? What are those things that you've wept over? The, 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 fundamentally, there's a gap between what should be and what is. That gap is, is weeping. That gap is sadness. That gap is, is it's not right. Something needs to be done. Something needs to change. Another person who wept was Nehemiah. Last week, we looked a bit at Nehemiah. And when Nehemiah heard that the walls had been smashed and broken down, when Nehemiah heard that people were in disgrace, he thought, hang on a minute, we're, we're the people of God. We have these promises that he said that if we turn back and if we obey, then, then he will bring us back from the furthest places on earth to the place where he's going to put his name. And yet it's not happening. That, that very fact caused him to cry. He wept. When was the last time you wept? Caused him to cry. This, this thing that's not right. I know the promises of God and yet the walls are broken, the people are in disgrace, God's people are in disgrace. Something is not right here. There was a gap. So Nehemiah did something about it. He went to prayer. He planned and he took a step of faith. And last week we looked at the fact that nowhere I can see when Nehemiah had a dream. Nehemiah, get up and build the wall. If you can find it somewhere, I would love to see it. All Nehemiah had was the promises of God and his reality. And look what happened. How much more for us? We have the promises of God. We have a reality that should cause us to weep. It should cause us to weep. It should cause us to plan. It should drive us to prayer. It should drive us to action. And then later on in the passage, Nehemiah arrives at the broken down city. He looks around. He has a good look at, at the desolation and the problems. It's not going well. And then, and then he says to the people who are there with him, he says, you see the trouble we're in? Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been buried with fire. And he says, come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so we will no longer be in disgrace. He also told them about the gracious hand God had had on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start building. And so they started a good work. They started a good work. I, I want you to have a, a different picture this week. I don't know where you're going to be tomorrow. I don't know where you're going to be on Tuesday. But I want you to see that you're called to build a wall where you are. Maybe it's in school. You're called to build a wall there. To put up a wall. Because inside that wall is where God's name is. Outside the wall, it's not. Wherever God has placed you, wherever God has put you, wherever you find yourself, that's a place to call on the name of the Lord. And in that moment, it's a strong tower. It's like building a wall. A wall. Inside that wall is the kingdom. Inside that wall is salvation. Inside that wall is blessing. Outside the wall, 
trouble. We're called to go into our workplaces. We're called to go into our families' homes. We're called to go to our neighbours. We're called to go to school, to go to colleges. Wherever you find yourself in business, we're called to build a wall right there, right there, to build a wall. Because inside that wall is the name of God. And that's a strong tower. Now, you can only do that if you really comprehend the promises of God. You can only accomplish that if you buy into the promises of God and what's happening. And Nehemiah records that the people bought into it. The people bought into this vision. And you know what? With a lot of hard work and plenty of opposition, they got the walls up in less than two months. Imagine if the public sector worked like that. Maybe five Ps might help for all the people who love peace. The promises of God automatically lead to His provision, the provision from God. It's from Him. The promises of God lead to His protection. His name is like a strong tower. The promises of God yet require our participation. God has not left us just to spectate and watch. From the very beginning, He said, go and be fruitful and multiply. We have always been part of God's plan. We have always been part of His mission. We have always been part of what He's called us to do. From the very beginning, we were created to create with Him, to participate with Him. And then something really important here. There are people who search the world for fulfillment and a sense of peace, a sense of pleasure, a sense of, I feel like I've had a good life. I tell you, the pleasure that comes from serving the Lord, the pleasure that comes from knowing that God is pleased is something so powerful, is something so immense that that everything else fades away. When Claire sits there in peace, it's because she knows that she's had the pleasure to serve the Lord. Look at her photo just a few weeks ago at Kids Club. She's had the pleasure to serve the Lord and to encourage another generation to follow Him. The pleasure, the genuine, authentic pleasure that we deeply crave, nowhere else can provide it. No, nothing else can provide that. But Ben, where does that leave us? We're New Testament people, Ben. In the Old Testament a lot. Well, for all you Pauline fans out there, if Paul was standing here today and he was on a mission, I reckon he'd leave us all behind. I just thank the Lord for Barnabas. I don't think Paul would have picked me. I think Paul, I think Paul would have said, get rid of that guy. But Barnabas would pick me. I want you to know that if you think Paul wouldn't pick you, that's okay. Barnabas will pick you. You're picked. You're chosen. Lydia, you are chosen. You're on the team. You're on mission. John, it's not done yet. The puzzles are great. But the prayer that you pray is so more powerful. Christian, the work you do in that, in that hospital, that is great. But as you build the wall in that place, you're saying on this side it's the kingdom of God and I claim it for the kingdom. The promises of God are alive and well here. And I take a stand and I call on his name and it's like a strong tower and people can run into it. Paul said, 
There is no longer Jew or Gentile, no longer slave or free, no longer male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Part of what makes us one, genuinely one, in a, in a sense of real unity, part of what makes us one is when we fully enter and participate in that command He gave us all as one. In Matthew 28, He said, all authority, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very ends of the age. This is a command that He's given to all of us. We're one in Christ because we're His. We're one in Christ because we're on His mission together. We are unified together in this single calling, in this single commission to make disciples. That's you and me. It's not just Shean's job. It's not just Joshua's job to make disciples. It's also Murray's job and it's Jenny's job. Tamara, it's your job too. We are called into this mission. We are called together, unified, to go into the world and make disciples. But you know what? That really requires faith, doesn't it? It requires a a conviction of the promises of God. It really feels a bit risky at times, would you agree? The name of Jesus is the foundation of the church. The name of the Lord is like a strong tower. The name of Jesus is the foundation of the church. In Matthew 16, Jesus says this, Now I say to you, Peter, which means rock, upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. They've been trying to stamp the church out for a long time now. In China, they've they've just tried to shut down another house church. They want to replace the cross with the president. I tell you, by doing that, they're just going to stir up a hornet's nest. It's not going to make the church go away. Anywhere where there has been oppression of the church and oppression of Christians, there has been a great outpouring and revival. Something of what's happened forces us to look outwards beyond where I am because if I simply stay where I am, I'm going to die. But in that moment of pressure, I'm forced to look beyond my situation in faith to God. I'm forced to call out His name. It's like a strong tower and I can run into it and I'm saved. It's almost like without oppression, it's a bit risky. It's almost like without that pressure upon us, we have a high risk of just falling inwards. It's almost like if life is too good and we live in one of those beautiful Western countries where the standard of living is high, it's almost like there's a great potential for us to just close inwards. Peter gave this beautiful vision. He said in 1 Peter 2.5, You are like living stones, being built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, 
offering spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. See, the days of building physical cities and physical walls are over. The days of building spiritual walls are here. Wherever you go, you're building spiritual walls. You yourself are a spiritual stone put together in a way like this house. Different stones put together in a way that's like a place of safety. A place where his name is praised. Jesus has started something new upon the confession of his name. He's now building people, us, you, me. God has called us to go and to build. This is an outward focus at its very core. So where can the promises of God, where can they take us? What vision can these promises of God paint for us? I just want to commend to you four descriptors that I think shape us with an outward focus. The first one is a house of prayer, spiritual house of prayer. An outward desire is to see more and more disciples or living stones built together. For what purpose? To be a house of prayer. To be a house of prayer that, that, that honours God and places Him above all things and that reaches out. That's on the move. That's not confined to one location. Living stones being placed together. It's a prophetic promise that we can enter into and practice by playing our part in reaching the lost. By reaching others. By going into all the world and reaching others. Going into all the world therefore means a house of prayer of all nations. I, I, I can't believe it today, but you know, just in this church alone, I mean, it's, it's almost the United Nations here. We're not far from it. I'm going to apologise if I miss anyone. You know, I'd, I'd love to be able to pull up flags, but you know, there's French and South African and Indian and Chinese and Europeans and British soon to be Brazilians, there's Lebanese, Egyptians here, there's even a few Aussies. I mean, if this isn't a house of prayer of all nations, I don't know what is. Yet there's plenty of room. We're living stones, that means we're not fixed, that means there's room to grow, that means that, that the boundary of those walls can be pushed out, it's like, it's like the, the boundary of the tent, the tent pegs can be pushed out to make the space wider and bigger. As living stones we can move and be pushed out so that more can come in, more. Even though, because, because we're a house of prayer of all nations, really that's possible because we're all one in Christ. We're his nation. Remember whose we are? We're his. We're his. We're his. And of course, those moments where faith, where those moments where, where you enter into the promises of God, those moments where you really extend yourself beyond where you feel comfortable in faith, there are moments in your life where you look back and you go, man, I want to do that again. Those moments where you took a step of faith and when you prayed for someone, when you, when you prayed for them close or when you prayed from a distance, those steps of faith when you, 
When you were situation you were facing and you spoke with boldness the promises of God into that and things changed. Those steps of faith you took when even when you didn't see the promise come to fruition, you still held that faith. That's, that's just where I want to be. That's where I want to live my life. I, I, I want to do those things that really I can't even dream about. You know, what, what I can conceive in, in me is really not enough. God is so much more. He is so much bigger. And a life of faith means that we're going to accomplish more than even we could dream of. We're going to accomplish more than even we could think is possible. God's going to use us in ways that we never expected. Has anybody found that in their Christian walk, that God used you in a way that you didn't expect? In fact, if you were God and you were looking at you, you'd go, I wouldn't use me. Has anyone thought that before? I wouldn't use me. Yet God's given us a life more than even we could dream, more than even we could conjure up. That requires faith in the promises that God has given us. But, but, but why? Well, so that we can play a central part, so that we can participate in seeing the brokenhearted call upon the name of Jesus, so that they can find the strong tower, they can enter into the tower, that they can find rescue, that they can be saved. That is the true miracle. The true miracle of someone who wasn't, but now is a disciple. That is the miracle, the salvation miracle, the genuine, fair income, real miracle, is when someone goes from, I was once lost, but now I'm found. And the pleasure we have in being connected to that, that should make us cry. That should cause us to weep. Some of you have family members and the family members are away from God. It should cause you to weep. But not weep in hopelessness, but weep in knowing the promises of God are this and this reality is there. Well, you, well, you, you pray, you plan, you take steps of faith, you move like Nehemiah moved and you watch the walls get built. You watch it happen. You watch it happen. You see... This, this, this critical aspect of outward movement is essential because Jesus came so that the brokenhearted might be rescued. We were all once brokenhearted. We've been rescued. Don't you want that for your neighbour? Don't you want that for your work colleague? You're not just there to earn a salary. You're not just there to volunteer. You're not just there to perform an administration task. No, you're there so that the brokenhearted can call on the name of Jesus. That's what you're there for. That's why you're placed there. Because the promises of God almost compel you to do so. Everything we do is so that others may call on the name of Jesus. This is much more than what is physically possible. Faith is required. We are all one in Christ. We are a house of prayer, of all nations, calling on the name of Jesus. This place is not just physical. What we see here, no. We are spiritual stones that God is moving all over the place. And we're building walls in places where the kingdom of God wasn't there, but because we're there, there is the kingdom. 
Because where there, there is the tower, the tower of safety, His tower. So in finishing today, is our prayer, Father, what do you see? What do you see, Father? I want to say to you today that it doesn't matter what you see, God no longer sees any disgrace in you. God no longer sees any ruin in you. Even if you messed it up just last night, even if you spilt communion this morning, God doesn't see any disgrace in you. There is no ruin in you. Because Jesus, when He came, the effect of His salvation work was almost like removing that separation between us and God. It was almost like, it was almost like you'd imagine a curtain, a huge curtain that blocked us from the presence of God. It was almost like Jesus, His action tore that in two and made a way for us so that we could be in the presence of God forever. Father, what do you see? No longer do we live for ourselves. No longer do we live with an inward focus. But our focus is outward. Each day we ask, Father, what do you see today? Father, what do you see in me today? Father, what do you see for tomorrow? I reckon one of the answers that comes back is, you know what I see? I see a bride without blemish for my son. Again, that's biblical imagery. I don't really fancy myself as a bride. But yet the imagery is compelling. I am a bride without blemish. We are the bride of Christ. We are without blemish. We have been made spotless for Jesus. Now, everybody knows that when you go to a wedding, the best bit's the reception. Occasionally, you've got to plan a Macca's on the way home, just in case it's a bit, you know, I'll be honest, I've been there myself. Go home, be disappointed. They only served, you know, salted fish. But Macca's is always there. But that's not the imagery of Scripture. The imagery of Scripture is that there's this great wedding feast. And... And the master is, has got this huge banquet. And, and, and Jesus speaks of it as, as a prepared table ready for people to eat. As a prepared table ready for people to come and sit and to fellowship and to participate. I love the prophetic vision that, that Jesus gives in Luke 14 where he says, where he says, Go into the highways and the byways. Go, go out there and compel them to come in. Com- I, I can't think of any stronger biblical word. Compel. compel. Compel would almost mean to go across and pick up Shean and Josh, put them over my shoulders and carry them into the banquet table. Because once they taste the table, once they get close enough and can see... Once, once they can really see how genuine and passionate I am, once they really get that, then they're faced with a genuine choice. Am I going to go to that banquet table? And you know what? Scripture shows that some people are just busy. But I'm not responsible for that. I'm responsible to go and to compel, to go to the highways and byways, to make them come in. 
That is an outward focus at its core. But you know what? I reckon my inward needs are taken care of when I'm out there with other people with an outward focus. I reckon I'm looked after when I'm building walls out there because someone right beside me is doing the same thing and we're encouraging one another and we're stirring one another up to good deeds and good works and we're praying for one another and we're looking after each other's needs. I reckon together with an outward focus, our inward needs are taken care of because we are together in that outward focus mission. I reckon I'm perfectly catered for. I reckon I'm looked after. Father, what do you see? Sees the brokenhearted calling on the name of Jesus. That strong tower so that they might be saved. Forming another spiritual stone. That is building a spiritual house of prayer. Of all nations, all one in Christ. I, I want to give my life to that. I want to be a part of that. The highlight of my Christian walk has been those moments where you've participated in the salvic work of Christ. When you have brought someone, led someone, spoken to someone, prayed with someone. That is the time where I feel most alive, where I feel most fired up and ready. And yes, life makes sense. All the other moments are great. All the other moments are good. I'll just finish with this last illustration. Um, used, used to work with Nick at New Day, and Nick was great at this. He would say, we've got to go out and catch fish. He, he would always say that. And I'm not talking just, you know, subways and, and bread. He would say, go, we've got, to, we've got to go out and catch the... We've got to go to where they are. And we've got to meet people and we've got, to, we've got to help them. We've got to go to businesses and we've got to try and see if there's jobs available for kids. We've got to go to schools and see if there are kids that need help. We've got to go to government departments and say, listen, we've got this great program to offer. Do you want to, do you want to let us help you? He was great at that. I wasn't so great. I just kind of tag along with him. He was brilliant. And you'd go and you'd network and you'd speak to people. And people would, would miraculously capture the heart of what you're saying. And they'd sign up and they'd even pay money. It was amazing. Can I say that going out and compelling people is, is no different? We, we, we accept that in business we have to go and win business. What, what, why do we treat it differently when it comes to salvation and God? Well, why do we just sit back and expect it to happen? Why do we wait? Why do we, why do we turn inwards when the very call of God pushes us outwards? This week, would you go? Would you go to where they are? Would you go and win that business? Would you go into the highways and byways and compel them to come in? Would you have a vision for your life where it's an outward-focused vision? But would you stand with others we know as the church, people sitting to the left and to the right of you, would you stand with others and together push outwards and encourage one another in that process? That's where I want to live my life. And I know you do too. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus who came to us even while we were far away, even while we weren't even looking, we weren't even desiring 
You came so that we might call on your name and that we might be saved. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you for the church, Lord, that you have called here. People coming together to pray and to worship and to bless your name. People coming together to reach beyond where we are and to go to where you've called us to go. Lord, I thank you for that. But Lord, we pray for a continuation of that outward focus. We pray for an enlarging of that outward focus. We pray for something of faith to rise up within your people and to stand on the promises of God and to see the kingdom go forward. We pray that we might build those spiritual walls in our workplaces and our schools and our families and our neighbours so that before they know it, they're on the right side of the wall, that they can call out to the name of Jesus because his name is like a strong tower. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each one here. Bless them as they go. Lord, give them the strength for every day. Jesus, help us to be outward focused in everything that we do. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you. Go forth this week. Please stay for hot.